So good morning, this is Anne. Welcome to Sacred Space 102 FM, which is a Come and See Inspirations production being produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada. And this the 28th of February. It's the second Sunday of Lent. And my name is John Keeley. And thanks be to God, I've got somebody looking after me again this morning. Shane Ambrose, good morning to you, Shane. How are you? Good morning, John. How are we keeping? We're good. Thank you very much, Nick, for joining me. And of course, we want to welcome especially those listeners of ours who are lonely and struggling and stay with us each week, and we meet them. We meet them around Newcastle West. We get text off them. We get emails off them. They enjoy the program. They ask them to keep it up, and especially keep that guy up who keeps on passing on the Saints for the week. They love that little segment, Shane. So well done. <laughs> Our program, of course, is broadcast at West Limit 102 at 10 a.m. and 11 p.m. each Sunday, which includes the 10 a.m. The 10 a.m. session includes Mass broadcast from Abbeyfield Parish, and 11 p.m. session is just the normal regular Sacred Space program. You can listen to any of our previous programs uh, going on to our podcast page, which is Come and See Inspirations. Just Google Come and See Inspirations. We're also available to be heard on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and also Facebook. If, 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 if Those of you who are on Facebook, just check us out there on Come and See Inspirations. And that we have the, the weekly uh, program is posted up. But midweek, we also have something going back into our archives. And this week, we have gone back from the 26th of April, uh, sorry, the 25th, yeah, 26th of April um, last year. Uh, Father Eamon Conway joined us to share a beautiful reflection and thoughts in these times. But in the meantime, if you want to contact us by text or email, our text number is 087 6088 067. That's 087 or email come and see inspirations at gmail.com now with that we'll let Shane come in with our Saints for the Week thanks Shane thanks John um, so as we're in the Linton season we're just giving a brief mention to the Saints of the Week this week so as John said today is the 28th of February and it is the second Sunday of Lent for those of us praying the Psalter we're on week two and we're heading into the second week of Lent hard to believe but Monday this week is the first of March and it is the feast day of St. David. Of course, David is the patron of Wales, very much associated with that country. He was an abbot and a bishop in the 6th century. And the reason we commemorate him on the Irish calendar is because a number of Irish saints were his pupils. And he very much is associated with influencing monastic uh, development in Ireland. And he died around 601 AD. So that's why we have St. David of Wales on the Irish calendar. Tuesday is a feast day. We're going as far as the Lebanon and that that part of the world for a man named St. John Maron. He was son of the governor of Sarum. Very much he studied Greek and paid theology in Constantinople. And then he was uh, a a monk at the monastery of St. Maron, which is in... in, in the in the Lebanon region, because St. Maron is the saint associated with the Maronite Church, which is a church associated with Rome, but which follows a different type of liturgy in that part of the world, and it's in communion with the Pope. So he was a particular saint associated with that part of the world. He died in 707 AD of natural causes, uh, and he's buried in that part of the world as well. On Wednesday, the 3rd of March, we have the feast day of St. Hang on now, let me see if I can pronounce this one right. St. Teresa Estaccio Verzeri, I think is how you pronounce the woman's name. Well done. She, <laughs> she's an Italian saint, obviously, with a name like that. She was the oldest of seven children. Her brother became the Bishop of Brescia in Italy. She was educated at home and uh, she joined the Benedictines at Bergamo. 
Uh, she's the founder of the Institute of the Daughters of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in 1831, and she died herself in 1852 at Brescia, I think is how you pronounce it, in Italy. And her congregation is in numerous world, country, world, countries around the world today, Italy, Brazil, Argentina, uh, Cameroon, India, and Albania. So then on Thursday, we have the feast day of St. Casimir. St. Casimir is one of the patron saints of Poland. So happy feast day to our Polish listeners in Limerick. Uh, he died in 1484, very much a man known for promoting peace and the unity of Western Europe. He was a prince, so he's one of the royal saints of Europe that we mentioned from time to time. And he chose a life of prayer and penance, is what the order describes him as. Friday, the 5th of uh, March, is the feast day of St. Cierden on the Irish calendar, associated very much born in Cape Clear in County Cork. He's numbered among the pre-patrician saints of Ireland. Now, what does that mean in layman's terms? As in, he was there before St. Patrick arrived. He went to the continent, baptized, later ordained priest and bishop, and he returned to his father's territory in Ossory, where he lived as a hermit. And hes uh, we're not quite sure when he died, actually. Then finally, John, on Saturday, we have the feast day of St. Basil of Bologna, Again, another Italian saint. He was a bishop of Bologna for 20 years in the 4th century, appointed by Pope St. Sylvester, and he died in 335 of natural causes. So that's what we have in terms of the saints' commemorations for this week, folks. Shane, thanks a lot for that. Just a few quick notices. Just to remind listeners, 8, 8, 8, 8 p.m., sorry, uh, um, Wednesday evenings, there's a, the Lenten retreat from Mount St. Alphonsus, the Redemptive Church in Limit continues, 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. 8.30 uh, on Thursday from Knox Shrine, the knoxshrine.ie, the Lenten Conversations continue, hosted by Father Eamon Conway. Both of those, I enjoyed them during the week. And also, actually, on knoxshrine.ie, 8 p.m. on Tuesdays, there's a Scripture Reflections. Um, just to advise this is in advance on Good Friday here on West Limit One on Sacred Space, West Limit One O Two. Um we ha- we are gonna have the popular prayer around the cross. Um this will be arranged and organized and presented by the young people with Father Frank Dewey in Newcastle West at seven PM to eight PM Good Friday. So earlier Shane interviewed Bishop Brendan Leahy and we're playing that in part two of our programme today. So now we'll move into our gospel reflection part of the program. And before that, Shane will share this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture with us. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let our eyes be closed and our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listing. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the Gospel for today, for the second Sunday is Lent, again is taken from the Gospel of Mark. And it's chapter 9, verse 2 to 10. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain, where they could be alone by themselves. There in their presence he was transfigured. His clothes became dazzlingly white, whiter than any earthly bleacher could make them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter spoke to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, 
It's wonderful for us to be here. So let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. And a cloud came, covering them with shadow. And there came a voice from the cloud. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Then suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them any more but only Jesus. As they came down the mountain, he warned them to tell no one what they'd seen, until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They observed the warning faithfully. Those among themselves, they discussed what rising from the dead could mean. Now, we know we only have a short little time, Shane, but you want to share a few thoughts you might have on the Gospel today? Sure, John, no problem. So the Gospel we have presented to us today, of course, is is Tabor, and it is the Transfiguration. Now, we will hear this Gospel again later in the year in August when we have the Feast of the Transfiguration, but it is one of the Gospels which is given every year. Uh, sorry, the account of the, the, the event of Tabor is something that's covered every year in the Gospels for Lent and generally taken from the Gospel that is in that we are reading through. So this year we have have it, of course, from Mark. Tabor and the Transfiguration very much prefiguring what was going to happen at Calvary. The idea of going up the mountain, very much, of course, linking back to the Old Testament, Horeb, Sinai, and that whole idea of going up to encounter the divine. Jesus is going up to meet his father and to be confirmed in the road that he is taking, which, of course, is the journey to Jerusalem. Now, I could go on to another bit more, and there's a number of things that we could link with the Old Testament, but in terms of reflecting on it this Sunday for ourselves and what it means for us, I suppose as we journey through this Lenten season, the question we have to ask ourselves, where are those moments of encounter with the divine? It's a question I ask very often on the program. People are probably sick of me saying it, but that is what Tabor is calling us to do. Where are, our mount, where are the mountains where we encounter the divine? Are they, where are they? They could be in our bedroom, they could be assisting someone, they could be playing with our children. There could be those domestic moments of encounter. They're not, we're not necessarily saying to people, you know, you have to go out and up Mount Everest kind of a thing. That's not what we're talking about. What it means is looking and being open to listening to what God is asking us to do, because that's what Jesus was doing. He was going up to, to pray, to reflect, to discern, encountering the law and the prophets symbolized by Elijah and Moses. And the whole thing there, of course, was the reaction of the disciples to it and that the idea that we should be open to it and be willing to encounter with it and to be willing to uh, to to be to, to, to listen to what is being said which is the command that is given but the most important part for me of the events of the transfiguration is not the event of the transfiguration itself that was there to confirm the faith of Peter James and John because they were to be the three that were to accompany him to the garden of Gethsemane they were to be the three that were to lead the community after his ascension into heaven they were the three that were to be, confirm their brother and particularly Peter in the faith. But the most important part of it was is that they came down off of Mount Tabor. That we came they came back and they continued the journey because that is the challenge that's always there for us. That when we find that moment of what we see, that moment of perfection, we want to stay in it, we want to glorify it, we want to stay right there. But that's not what Christianity calls us to do. We are called to continually journey, to walk together, to go Camino together, to walk side by side to discover and encounter God as we journey through our life. You know, we were talking, one of the things we talked about with Bishop Brendan is the whole idea that our faith is one which is very incarnation-based. That is, we are part of the physical world. One of the most ancient heresies of the church was one that tried to turn around and say that the physical world was bad. 
which contradicts the very meaning of the incarnation where Christ has come into the world in time and space and sanctified the world because he has come into it as a human being. He is divine and human. So that which we encounter every day is blessed because God has walked on our earth as well. And we are encouraged and to find and experience and appreciate those moments of encounter with the divine in the world around us where that no matter what the darkness is that surrounds us at the most difficult of times, it's challenging, it's hard work. No one said it was ever going to be easy. But we are called to do that as part of our response to our baptismal calling. And that is what Lent is about. It is a journey towards Calvary and ultimately beyond to the empty tomb. And that is what Tabor reminds us about on this Sunday morning. Shane, thank you very much indeed for sharing that. We need to be reminded of those few things. Thank you very much indeed. So now we'll play our first bit of music today. This is sung by Mark Forrest and it's entitled You Are Mine. So join us again in part two to listen to Shane interviewing Bishop Brendan Lee. A voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I will come to you in the silence. I will lift you from all your fears. You will hear my voice I claim you as my choice Be still and know I am here And do not be afraid For I am with you I have called you each by name and follow me and I will bring you home I love you and you are mine I am hope for all who are hopeless I am the eyes for those who long to see In the shadows of the night I will be your light Come and rest in me I have called you each by name Come and follow me And I will bring you home I love you and you are strength for all 
the despairing Healing for the ones who dwell in shame All the blind will see The lame will all run free the second part of our program this morning here on Sacred Space 102 FM, a Come and See Inspirations production for West Limerick 102. My name is Shane Ambrose. I'm delighted to have you back on the program and still uh, working on the program with me this morning is John Keeley. Good morning, John. Morning again, Shane. So uh, we are delighted to welcome onto the program this morning uh, Bishop Brendan Leahy. Good morning, Bishop Brendan. How are you keeping? Good morning, Shane. Good morning, John. I'm well. Thank you very much. And how are you these fine COVID days, as they say? <laughs> well, we're like everybody else, so we're getting tired of them. But uh, we, we know, recognising this is what we are, this is where we are, we've got to just move through them. I think, mm. like everybody else, trying to be as best I can, keeping to all the regulations and trying to stay at home and try to keep safe and all that that everybody's doing. Mm. So, yeah, look, that's where we all, I think we're all in the same boat, more or less, or at least... As somebody put it to me more recently, I think maybe this might be a better way of putting it. We're all in the same storm, whatever mm-hmm. about the same boat. We all have different boats, maybe, but we're all in the same storm. So we're trying to together get through it. Very good. Now, as 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 we as we talk and uh, as we record, of course, this is um, kind of just the, the middle of this, the the first second week of Lent. Um, so you know, it's kind of hard, I suppose, to kind of look back that it's, it's this time last year, you know, we were in Lent again when this whole, as you said, this storm kind of came upon us in our, in our different boats. And looking at it from that perspective, I suppose, the idea of, of this tumultuous period that we've had, 
um, I suppose, from, from what what does Lent say to us? I suppose, or what are the opportunities that are there for us this Lent? In I suppose, being able to try to encourage people to maintain and stay the distance that we have to go at the moment. Well, I think the first thing we do have to acknowledge is that, as somebody said to me, my God, we've spent the past year in Lent. Mm. Because for a lot of people, Lent is about, in one sense or other, having a fasting, giving something up, not having something that you normally enjoy or whatever. But in this case, the past year has been that for a lot of people. They, mm. you, they've they missed out on so many things. Just the, the, the joy of company, good company with family, friends, going out for a meal doing some giving yourself a treat these things have, have been difficult this past year so there is a sense for a lot of people well well what's lent to be this year we've already given up so much so i think it maybe there is something in that that's a, a pointer that lent of course we might still give up the biscuit or the bit of chocolate or whatever i, I know some of the family saying to me despite everything and maybe even more so they're giving up the chocolates and things because perhaps there's an element of that going on a bit more than usual at home because of the cooped up situation people are in. So in some cases, families might be doing that. I appreciate that. But perhaps maybe there's a question of also asking ourselves, let's use Lent to talk about and think about and pray about, you know, what direction are we going in as uh, personally or in our family? Uh, what, you know, what what are we learning through this COVID? What are, we, what are we going to take away from this COVID situation? And I think a lot of families will admit, despite the negatives and difficulties of being cooped up, there have been uh, also moments where families have been together a bit more and appreciated the time of just having time together, as opposed to just rushing around that maybe we were more used to in the past. So I think Lent could be about the positives that we could look for in this experience. Now, we might, we need to do that together. We won't work, it all, work all that out on our own. Yeah, I know. I, 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 yeah, I know. I appreciate what you're saying. And I suppose for me, I suppose one of the questions um, that, uh, that comes to mind in, just in relation to this COVID experience, and it kind of links into the whole Lent team as well as what you were saying there as an opportunity to reflect, is as a faith community, I think it has posed numerous challenges to us uh, in in many respects. I suppose the first thing is that that you you could look at it two ways. There's the whole business at this minute in time of as part of the public uh, health requirements, we've had to close down public liturgies. And, you know, I suppose people will say to that, well, you know, the first part of that is there doesn't seem to be a recognition in a wider sense about how essential prayer, religion, liturgies, uh, faith is as much as, say, um, mental health, physical exercise, and that we face a challenge as a, as a faith community kind of getting that message across to people. Would you say that's true? Would you agree with it? What way, what, what, what kind of would you be your, your, t- your thinking on it? Well, certainly the experience we've had is that a lot of people are coming online for liturgies. And a lot of people are sensing that the church has made an effort to be present to them. Like if I think even our own diocese here, the number of parishes that now have web cameras or some kind of a Facebook Live or whatever it might be, has just exploded exponentially since this time last year. So people are very much grateful for the fact that, you know, there's now daily liturgy available. There's a Sunday liturgy available. There are stations across of the veil available. But you are right, of course, the coming together physically and being in contact with one another. 
I heard Richard Carney the other day, a philosopher on RTE, the Brendan O'Connor programme, talking about how we forget sometimes the importance of the sense of touch. We think an awful lot about the eyesight and our hearing mm. and our smell and taste, but, the, but touch, the touch is a very important sense. And that, in a broad sense, is true with regard to ourselves coming together as a faith community. And that is important for our mel- mental health. And okay, that is something I think we do need to recognise. You are right there. However, maybe this, we let's call it a trial, a difficulty that we're going through of having a quite extended period of time where we're not being able to come together is actually opening up for us questions that are important for the future, but also about how it is we come together. What is the significance of coming together for us? But I think we'd have to say, while there is that pain of not being able to come together in the church building, I think we'd have to recognize there is a new discovery, I think, beginning. It's only beginning, but it's there, that the family is, first and foremost, the normal day-to-day place where you are experiencing church. We don't normally think about that. We think about church as a church building. And okay, that is important. The sacraments in the church are, yeah. But let's remember, all of us are baptized. Baptism is always working, always. The baptism is going on in our lives. If we're married, the sacrament of marriage is always there. It's always working. If we're confirmed, that sacrament is working. So when we're together in a family, two or three gathered in the name, as the scripture says, of Jesus, then he, obviously, is present in the family. So the family becomes the church. And I think COVID has mysteriously opened our eyes to that in a new way, in a in a new way that we really are going to have to hold on to and develop going forward. Two things, I suppose, that just that just struck me from what you were saying there, just Brind- Bishop Brendan. One was, um, I suppose, the focus to online, and the, I suppose what strikes me about that there was there was the, I'm always concerned, I suppose, with the focus to online is access. Because we've had a lot of you know, discussion in the wider public square about, say, for example, from access for children that we're trying to do online and remote learning, but also, I suppose, access in terms of people, particularly in rural parts, say, of the diocese, particularly out, say, out our way in West Limerick, where the, where the internet quality is actually quite horrific, or for older people that aren't internet savvy, that, you know, there is, there is a sense there that in some senses, the church has almost, the parish has almost disappeared uh, during COVID because of the fact it's gone online and people like that don't have access. So what would be your kind of your, your, your thoughts on that particular side of it? Yeah, yes, you're right. Of course, people find in some cases, they find the, the internet access difficult. But let's remember, and I'm grateful to FM 102 West Limerick radio station is actually broadcasting the mass every Sunday. So that's very helpful. I know certainly from Abbey Field, the Mass is being um, broadcast every Sunday, but also elsewhere maybe. And I know in some cases, some of the priests in West Limerick have been celebrating that Mass. And in some cases, kind of a local radio arrangement. And I think that's very positive. And I and I agree with that because it is a way for people to keep in contact. But I mean, I go back to my other point. It's true to say you're not in touch with the church building or the regular life of the church. But in as much as you're in touch with another person who is your carer, your son, your daughter, whoever it is, that that person is the church for you. And and this is the deep discovery that we have to make, I think, that mm. the church is people. The church is first and foremost the people. And 
okay, what we could do more there maybe is try to share as much news as we can. And a lot of parishes are now putting newsletters up online. So those people who can go online, it would be great if they could uh, print off maybe a newsletter or at least phone their neighbour, give a bit of news if there's a news to be given and updating. We've got the what, diocesan website. There's loads of things there, which we're revamping at the moment, actually. There's latest news items. We have a lovely item at the moment, for instance, on Father Leslie McNamara, who died recently, one of the priests of the diocese. People are very fond of him. We've got news about my, my little Lenten message, which I launched last week, about dream, discern and donate. So people might go on to those things and, uh, you know, phone. If they know a neighbour especially would be interested in some of these things, they could actually let them know. And in that way, the parish would be getting near to the people who mightn't have internet access. Mm. Um, in terms of that, I suppose that side as well, looking towards the future and, and challenges that are there, um, the online access is one thing, but what it also, I suppose I was thinking about is it poses a risk, I suppose, to a certain extent about um, people's participation in in the collective faith community when we can come back together and, you know, the restrictions are lifted. That, you know, religious participation in liturgies or public liturgies will become like everything else. You pick and choose where you want to go because you can do it online. And is there a risk there that we will lose something fundamental in our understanding of ourselves as a faith community? Because I suppose if you think about it, us as a faith community, we are we define ourselves as being incarnational. We are the body of Christ, which, you know, our signs, our symbols in sacrament are bread, wine, water, oil, incense. They, you know, they, the, the whole sense that we bring together the panoply of nature to as part of our celebration of the divine. So in that regard, then, is there a risk that we have we're fundamentally going to lose that some part of that understanding? if we have that risk there of people focusing on the online as well, because it's convenient. You can watch Mass from your bed in your TV on, on, the, on the computer. Sure, look, the risk is there. I, I acknowledge that. But at the same time, I think we have to believe the instinct of faith is so strong, it too wins out. In other words, faith pushes you to maybe go out outside yourself. And if there's a faith community actually meeting together and you're looking in on it, but that's grand for an emergency situation. But I think most people would recognize this is an emergency situation. This is mm. normal. What normal, what's normal is to actually be there, be at the event. Of course, for those who are elderly, vulnerable and, 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 and unable to travel, that's a different thing. It's, it's great that they can have that um, online facility. But for most people who are able-bodied and, and able to get up and go, I think, yeah, it becomes self-evident through your faith that this is where I should be. I should be participating in the event. I shouldn't just be simply at home and my slippers looking at it. You know, I think yeah. that would be, that would be true. That's true. You know, you spoke there about, I suppose, that desire that as you know, that going back even to St. Augustine, that whole thing that uh, that desire we have in us as human beings to participate in the spiritual, just to, to participate in the religious. And as we as we record this program um, at this moment in time, the government has said that we there will there will not be lifting the level five until after Easter. 
And I suppose for many people, this will be our second Easter where we will not be able to celebrate Easter as Easter. I suppose for that point of view, you know, because Easter is so central to the Christian message and it's so central to what it is to be Christian, because without it, you know, Christianity doesn't really make sense. What would you say to people kind of looking, thinking about it and kind of going, my God, you know, what the, just the missing of that this year in terms of what it means for us? What, what would your thoughts be on that? Yes, well, I, I, you know, I do think myself it, it would be really difficult for us again to miss Easter. But so we'll see, given that they're talking about it, it's the April the 5th or whatever and, and Easter Sunday is just the third. Uh, let's hope and let's keep out some hope, I would say, uh, that perhaps... Holy Week, we might be allowed to have some public liturgy. I think that would be really wonderful for us. Uh, and uh, I certainly would like to think that that might be possible. I hold out some hope for that. Um, but at the end of the day, we're going to have to live whatever uh, the present moment brings to us. And if at that moment in time, it is impossible physically to come together in public worship uh, physically, well, again, we have to do like a lot of people did last year. We'll have to link in. But this year, the advantage is every parish has met, nearly every parish has a web camera so that there actually is a greater possibility of um, linking in a bit more. Certainly, it will be important, I think, to remember the churches are open at the moment. They're not closed. Public worship, yes, is not available, but the churches are open. And I would invite people to, you know, not be shy of making a private visit. And then, of course, obviously into Holy Week, making a private visit, having that moment of prayer, being in the places you put it so very well a while ago there, Shane, about the, the symbols, the signs and the rituals. The church building does speak about that. And if I can recuperate here now what I said maybe earlier, slightly in a different way, a church building is important because it it is a place which has resonance about faith has has images it has has uh, an atmosphere and of course that is helpful to us in our faith so i would hope that people would avail of the possibilities to go for the private visit even now during the lent time and mm. spend moments silent moments of prayer live the lent that way and even just by going to the church building which is open re-evoking in their mind the meaning of Lent, the meaning of Easter, and already beginning in some way to let a path through their heart. Mm. You spoke there, I suppose, about this opportunity for us to look future-wise, and I kind of, I kind of want to kind of move the conversation slightly that way for the moment. Um, I suppose one thing that struck me recently was that the GEA came out and announced that they had 34 million of a loss this year in terms of euros. And I thought it was slightly funny because the Vatican has just published its accounts for 2020. And the Holy See, not the not the Vatican City State now, but the Holy See itself has come out with a loss of 30 million euros. And I was thinking to myself, that kind of says a lot about the, about the Holy See. But obviously, it poses a challenge just looking at, look, let's look at it from the point of view of sometimes nuts and bolts and keeping the lights on. Financially, how are things across the diocese at the moment? You know, parishes will have submitted their accounts. You'll be working on central accounts at the diocesan level. How has Limerick fared in the last number of the last 12 months? Well, I think Limerick has fared the way as most of the country has fared in terms of church uh, and churches across the board, not just the Catholic Church. Uh, clearly, COVID has had an impact, definitely. On the one hand, I think my sense from my own initial uh, observations 
and I want to pay credit to people. I think people have been generous in terms of the Jews, the normal Christmas Easter Jews for priests. Um, People in general have been uh, submitting, handing in Jews and giving that kind of donation. And that is something I think priests are very grateful for. And it has been, I think, a sign of encouragement to priests as well. So generally speaking, that's been the case. Not all the case, not every parish. Some parishes have dropped in the Jews as well, and a few maybe considerably. But in where there is a considerable drop is, as you say, the nuts and bolts day-to-day monies for the upkeep of the church. Mm. That money, which normally comes in and the envelopes or the offertory collection, that money obviously has dropped for the obvious reason, too, that people aren't coming every week to church. So people just forget to kind of bring an envelope. Um, Some places, again, are registering great generosity in the part of people in terms of every few weeks putting their envelopes together and dropping them in to the church or dropping them into the presbytery. And I know some parishes are offering maybe an hour once every month or something like that where they can come to the church and drop in their envelopes uh, so that that is helpful. But look, we can take from the fact that I would say we're down about 50% on average, maybe slightly more in some cases. And they no, so not just in some cases, certainly in some cases, there it's, it's down more than 50%. But if an average across the diocese, I'd say 40 to 50% is what people are taking in, in the ordinary income stream. So we're having to look at that and we are looking at it now. What we have at the moment in the diocesan website, we have a donate button. And people can actually link uh, into their own parish and donate a certain amount for their parish. And we transfer that money across to the parish. Some parishes have their own donate button on their website and people can go into their own parish website and donate money. So that is positive. What we're looking at is how we might be able to have contactless, as I call it, you know, touch cards that you might have a credit card and there might be some kind of a credit card machine or whatever it is at the back of a church and you could touch it tap it and that that would you could make a donation, donation that, that way. way so okay. we're going to have to be creative we are going to have mm. to be creative you know but maybe yep. again out of this COVID, it's an ill wind that blows no, blows good. no good maybe out of this COVID, we will actually speed up something that we probably recognized we need to do which is to increase our income streaming streams mm. Mm. people are generous those who are coming to church are generous. I think there is a risk, however, that maybe a newer generation mightn't quite appreciate the costs involved in running churches, maybe not appreciate fully that, you know, priests too have to have an income. And uh, we have to do a bit of work maybe there in getting our mm. message out. So we are working a little bit on that at the moment. How mm. can we get our message out again to explain our expenses? At the okay. central level in the diocese, we, we too have services, you know, so yeah. we're looking at all of that. Yeah. And of course, Ireland, Ireland is, 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 is like, unlike when these conversations are had about, say, the continent where the German church particularly is funded from the church tax, that doesn't operate here where we completely rely on voluntary donations. And it's part of that whole conversation that's been had globally as well about church finances, which Pope Francis is indeed taking the lead on. But that feeds in, I suppose, to another question in terms of just looking to the future, Bishop Brendan. And two things, I suppose, which people often ask questions as on. We get questions here in the 
program about very often. First of all, is the issue of where are things with the pastoral plan, and after what 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 has what where are things at with it? Now, obviously, COVID will have stopped or paused a lot of things, but obviously, given an opportunity to to pause and reflect. And the second thing that fed into that, of course, is one question we get very often is the COVID. Uh, cocooning requirement last year very much highlighted the issue of the age of the clergy of the diocese and where do we where are we in terms of vocations to the the the, the, the diocese and clergy we can cluster we can work together as community we can parishes can cooperate but at the end of the day we're a sacramental church so without clergy um you know how where, what is where where is the future for us as a diocese well, okay, the two questions. The pastoral plan, I suppose one of the elements, of course, has come out. One of the things that was said very strongly at the Synod was the importance of uh, using technology and communicating better. So certainly with the COVID, we've uh, ended up putting a lot of things online. And I have to pay credit again to our staff at the Diocesan Centre as well. We've done an incredible amount of work in the past year the Diocesan advisors at both primary and second level have get, kept great contact with the schools, both primary and secondary. We have provided resources for the faith transmission, which of course was one of the themes of the, of the pastoral plan. And the Diocesan advisors have, for instance, put together uh, reduced versions of the Grow and Love for the children, the primary schools and the Diocesan advisors at second level have uh, put together resources for schools. For instance, in September, October, we did a whole thing about children entering into the first year in second level must have been very difficult this year a transition from primary to secondary school in the middle of a COVID and wearing masks in your school and all that so we provided uh, reflective liturgy type moments which could be used in the schools and I think they went down well our Winters ESA which is our youth ministry and youth ministry again is another theme of course of the uh, pastoral plan they have gone online and doing a lot of good work with young adults they have prayer moments, they have fun moments together. That has been supportive of young people, especially some young people who have felt the pressure of the tra- the uncertainty around Leaving Cert and all that. And we did put on liturgies last year for Leaving Cert students. I asked myself to put a, issue some messages as well to teachers. But apart from that then, in terms of the broader uh, catechetical transmission of faith and a new way of doing things, we have also launched um you know online type of events so we have a book club going on at the moment for instance on the pope's encyclical on the environment laudato si that's very successful i think we have the best part of 100 people involved in that and it's a book club so they take the document and reading through it guided by experts who give it little inputs and they're sharing that's been very successful another new adventure that i'm really happy about is an outreach to health workers so we have a a, a, a session once a month which is something like time to breathe i think it's called time to breathe once a month where health workers what we mean by health workers are obviously doctors nurses staff and hospitals but also carers local doctors uh, people who are looking after the elderly on their own or in nursing homes we provide them with an opportunity once a month to come together for just a, a kind of a, a, a spiritual reflective moment. And that's something which we've done. It's a creative initiative uh, to create that community of belonging, which is, again, one of the first items in our pastoral plan that I'm particularly happy about that initiative. We then, of course, are more regular things. We have 
currently going on. Sister Teresa Fitzgibbon is doing a Lenten talk every Monday night at half seven on uh, the scripture, taking up the themes of Lent. And that, too, is a very successful. So in other words, we've translated online giving possibilities in digital format to uh, new initiatives, which are proving to be quite successful, really. Mm. I've done video conversations with people about topics and we put them online. We're updating our own actual website at the moment. So there's a lot of work going on there, I think. The second question is the question of vocations. Um, we did have a, have a ed- vocations officer, Sister Katrina Kavanaugh, when the Dominican sisters, I appointed her vocations officer last year. She's been doing good work and keeping contact. We had a group of young men, four young men, who were meeting once a month to discern their direction. Um, that has been a helpful tool for them. Uh, now, I think two of them just literally this week have discerned it isn't their direction now. But look, it's been helpful for them to have that discernment. There's two others discerning. We have one seminarian in the seminary, Tim Collins from Croke, and he is in Maynooth. Uh, but that's where we are. I can mm. absolutely, there's no way I can deny that we have a very serious challenge on our on our plate. Um, mm. That I can't deny. I one thing, people to pray. Yeah. One thing I would say to you, Bishop, it's it's a comment that's often made to me, like what, you know, the question I get is, what's the bishop doing about vocations? And my reply is often, well, the bishop doesn't have priests growing under a cabbage in his back garden. And the question, <laughs> you know, the question I often go back with is, well, when is the last time your parish would have given a seminarian to the diocese? Because, you know, it is a community responsibility that we have vocations because we are a sacramental church. But one of the questions I was asked recently, and I, and I thought it was an interesting one, is, some of our neighboring dioceses are looking to the issue of priests from abroad. And I suppose it, I suppose, you know, it's an opportunity to say to you, you know, as a diocese, you know, why aren't we going that route? That's one of the questions people will ask. Now, personally, I don't agree with priests from abroad, but that's my own personal view based on my experience of having worked in African countries for a number of years. But from your perspective as the Bishop of the Diocese, what would you say to people that would ask that question, that why aren't we looking to bring in men from abroad? Uh, Come on, we gave enough Irish men to the missions for all those years ago. Sure. Well, I mean, the first thing is to say, and I need to clarify, in our synod, we talked about this, and it was kind of made as a decision that we wouldn't be simply importing priests from abroad to solve our problems. We have to solve our problems, but that we would offer hospitality to priests from abroad if they were needed for studies purposes or whatever, and we would be happy to welcome them and, of course, avail of their ministry here. And that's a bit what we have done. So, for instance, from the Syro Malabar, this is a particular Indian group, which are Catholics, but they have a particular right we have two priests from India, from the Sarah Malabar. One of them is working full-time in the hospital and chaplaincy, and the other is working full-time um, with his Sarah Malabar community, although both of them actually helped the Sarah Malabar community. So they were, you know, we're welcoming a particular group that were needed a priest, and they are helping us in their own way. We then have two priests from Nigeria who are studying in the LIT, We've offered them hospitality. They're here in the diocese. And I think once they get settled, they're here since last September. Once they get settled, I think they should be able to help out a bit in liturgy. And then we have another priest from Ghana. So there, uh, then, of course, we have the Polish community. We have 
a certain amount of Poles, obviously, here in Limerick. And I have two Polish priests, one working full time with the Polish community and another who is some partly helped with the Polish community, but he actually is one of the co-parish priests here in Limerick. And then we have another Polish priest who is a chaplain to the army. So, you know, it's not that we've none from abroad. We actually have five. But I do think myself there is uh, those five I'm very grateful for. But at the same time, it is an issue that we have to face up ourselves. Mm. Importing the priests isn't the solution to our problem. Mm-hmm. Sometimes priests, when they come, can have cultural difficulties adapting. People find sometimes find it hard to understand their English. And that can be a strain for some. And also sometimes it's hiding uh, the fact problem. that we yeah, the problem. Yeah, it's hiding. It's hiding our own problem. Now, a lot of the questions we've asked so far have very much been what we'd call ad intra discussions, looking at things internally to the faith community, looking at our part as the wider society, as a faith community in you know in Ireland today. I suppose one of the things that's going to come up again and again is there's an ongoing discussion about suicide and an assisted dying, which is currently making its way through the doll and committee stage, and it's been called the dying with dignity bill, which I, yeah, the, co- the title is, you know, you swear nobody else has died with dignity before. But I suppose from a faith perspective, many, Christ- many Christians, many Catholics will have reservations and questions about this. So I suppose, first of all, uh, and I know during the week, the Irish bishops made a, a submission to the committee, the Dáil Committee in relation to it. So I suppose what is, I suppose, the fundamental message that we want to say to Christians and Catholics in the diocese that would be worried about this issue. And in second of all, if people want to learn more so that they can have an informed conversation about it, so that they can talk to people about it, or, for example, as members of the public society, they want to get on to their public representatives, where could they get some extra information to be able to have that debate and have that discussion informed by Catholic teaching? Yes, well, I think, first of all, you're right. The um, There was a submission made by the Bishops' Conference. We have a, what's called a Council for Life, and we have a consultative group on bioethics. So they together put together a submission, which did go in to the Eroftus Committee on Justice. And that is available on the uh, Bishops' Conference website and as i say we're revamping our own so i'm hoping it'll go on our own website very shortly and it is certainly that i think is a key document well worth reading because it makes a lot of very important points and i would recommend people to read it and as you say i think that maybe is a a a fundamental aspect of the message get the word out because naturally this is something that is going through this bill is going through our parliamentary system And there is a risk that we're being distracted because we've got COVID, we've got many other worries as well. And people might be missing the fact that this is actually happening. And I think it would be important for people to speak out, get in touch with their public representatives, make their opinion known, make their view known that there is a huge risk here, clearly, that people who are reaching a very vulnerable point in their life as they move towards death are going to find themselves under pressure are under some kind of a weakened moment in their own lives, making a decision about something as fundamental as taking their own life at the end, which would be so just tragic that, that, that they would find themselves in that position because of new legislation that was introduced in Ireland. 
Mm. And it is it is an international concern, of course, as well. And Pope Francis has recently issued a document in relation to the issue of assisted suicide. Obviously, internationally, there's concerns raised about Belgium, the Netherlands, Canada, just to name a couple of countries, parts yes. of the United States. And it is something that hopefully we might take up if we get an opportunity on the program at a future at a future stage as well. But as Bishop as Bishop Brendan said, the document there it's on the bishops' website, the Conference of Bishops' website, and definitely I would say to people, it's very easy to read. It's not complicated. I had looked at myself in the last couple of days. And for people, if this is something that you're concerned about, as the bishop said, contact your public representatives. You are as much entitled to participate in the public discussion as citizens of the Republic as anybody else. And don't be afraid to have an opinion on it. Bishop Brendan, I'm afraid we are very over time on this. So I'm afraid I have to call our conversation here at this point. We could keep going for another 20 minutes, um, but I'm afraid we're running out of time on this morning's program. As always, we thank you for coming on the program. And just as we close out this part of the program, just any lasting last thoughts for people as they face into this Lenten season? I suppose it's a season of opportunity, a season that we don't have to be morass. What would be maybe you know a final thought you'd have for people this morning? Well, I think I would just take th- uh, three words. Pope Francis has the word dream. Think about the future. Think about what you want to take away from covid I would take the word discern, another big word from Francis. What's the right thing to do in your life? And just take Lent as a time to think about that. And the third word is donate, not just meaning giving money to Troke and all that, which would be a good idea, but donate in the sense of live giving in your attitudes and your approach to people, a bit more patience, a bit more time, a bit more endurance, maybe when this COVID is difficult. Giving, donating is also a feature of Lent. Okay, Bishop Brendan, thank you so much for joining us on Sacred Space 102 this morning. Delighted to have Thanks you. Thanks to you, Shane, and to all the listeners. Wish you well. Thank you. So now we'll play our final piece of music today. And this one may be so opportune after listening to Bishop Brendan and chatting uh, with Shane. And this one is entitled, Open My Eyes, Lord. Uh, thanks again, Shane, for, for taking time to, to, to share um, those few thoughts with us with Bishop Brendan. And um, next week, we've got something different coming on. But let's wait till next week for that. In the meantime, thanks again for joining us. Until next week, for myself and Shane, God bless you all now. Bye. Bye.
Love, love. 